Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hear my words and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realm of men. I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch. For this night, and all the nights to come. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Game of Thrones. I'm Vanity Fair Senior Writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson. If you are just joining us, we are in in the end game now of our of our countdown of the top 15 most essential episodes of Game of Thrones leading up to the final season, season eight. We are on number 12 of our countdown, which is season six, episode two, Home, written by Dave Hill, directed by Jeremy Podeswa. Um, so this, if you're just joining us for the first time, we are going to chat a little bit about the episode, give out some awards for the episode, and then we will have an interview with someone. This week, we have none other than Isaac Hempstead Wright, Bran Stark himself, to talk about this great, great Bran episode. Um, so that's all that happens this episode, right? Uh, it's just about Bran, I think. Uh, that's it yep nothing else uh yeah in case in case you have not watched the episode yourself uh let me give you this is the part where i do a little recap of the episode in 50 words or less and i've just got this i've got urine arrives bran goes home john wakes up so that's it that's that's all that happened in this episode of game of thrones um Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also uh before we get into our awards we just want to really quickly say that um if you haven't already signed up for a subscription to Vanity Fair, we are offering a special deal to podcast listeners. If you go to vanityfair.com slash thrones, enter promo code thrones, you get a whole year. That's a whole year of magazines, a whole year of online access, usually $15, but 
$7.50 for the whole year. So it's a huge deal. We're going to have a lot of content coming up around Game of Thrones. If you want to read it uh, and you haven't subscribed, now is the time to do it. Richard, why would you say people should take advantage of this subscription deal? Well, because legend has it that Vanity Fair can bring back the dead. Oh, I heard that. Yeah. yeah, all Vanity Fair has to do is give you like a sponge bath and a haircut and then you are good to go. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yep. <laughs> All right. So if you want that sponge bath and that haircut and that that life restoring power from, from Vanity Fair, uh, go to vanityfair.com slash thrones. Enter the promo code thrones to get the special still watching discount. Um. All right. So we are going to award a few, uh, yeah, awards for this episode. Home. Uh. In starting with our obvious MVP of the episode. Um. I am going to give it to Max von Sydow, <laughs> like shows up oh, yeah. for like just, totally. just a couple episodes of Game of Thrones and, uh, is really great. He got, you know, recast, they recast the role of the three eyed Raven, the end of season four. They were like, it was like that scene in Wayne's world, uh, where they bring Charlton Heston in, uh, to play the gas station attendant. They, they brought in the big guns, Max von Sydow. Uh, so that's my, that's my MVP of this episode. What do you think? Mine is good old Davos Seaworth. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. I, like, I like watching Davos be loyal to people. Like yeah. there's something sort of avuncular and sort of just like cozy about like the way, with the way that he commits to people. So, um, I really enjoyed him in this episode. Yeah. And this is where he, I, I think this is, it's, all, it's either this one or the one before it where he's like, I want some mutton, some mutton. That's how he says mutton. <laughs> I can't do his accent. It's great. Liam Cunningham doing like Northern by way of Irish. It's, it's pretty fantastic. Um, all right. And then I will, um, I'll give sneaky MVP to, uh, we just mentioned her the last time we talked, but Cersei Lannister, Lena Headey. Um, there's this really heartbreaking scene where Cersei hears that Marcella's back and she goes like running through King's Landing only to see like the ship come into the harbor with the black sails knowing that Marcella's dead. Um, and then, you know, uh, watching her sort of, uh, you know, get shut out from that's, that's earlier in the, in the season, but like watching her get like shut out from the funeral, all this stuff that she does, uh, in this, you know, pivot point around her, like last, um, her daughter, her daughter would just like mean so much to her. Anyway, big lady, Healy fan. Great episode for Cersei. What, who's your sneaky MVP? You know, I'm going to say the waif, the one who the kind of Arya's trainer slash antagonizer over in Bravos, just because like, Here's a character who could have been like a two episode character who's really holding on. And I admire that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's the great Faye Marseille who, um, what's that great movie she's in? Is it called Pride? Is that what it's called? About the like, uh, the one, the, the gay, yeah, the, the miners. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a lovely movie. Yeah, really great she's movie. great in it. And she's really good at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I like her a lot. So she's also in an episode of Doctor Who. Good actress. I think, you know, like, uh, you know, hats off to the wave. I think they didn't like use Faye Marseille to like her full, capabilities because the waif is a little like one note but um i do like that like she scares the shit out of me despite the fact that she is a very like small woman um you know so so good good job to her uh faye marseille is also in a, a great movie that came out last year called a private war with rosamund pike that nobody saw but everyone should because it's wonderful <laughs> um all right so my my quote of the episode this is the part of the episode where we do memorable quotes from the episode uh, and like embarrassing, uh, impressions of people in the, in the show. So like that, here's, here's my impression. It goes like this. <laughs> That's ghost. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. What's your line, Richard? 
that's what I do. I drink and I know things. Of course. Classic. Um, you know, it me. <laughs> um, all right. And then we, we want to say our best dress of the episode. I gotta give it to Kit Harrington, who looks amazing in like a little bit of loincloth and like some carefully applied scars. Uh, he just has to like lie on that table and like let the light glisten off his abs for a couple episodes and, uh, he looks good doing it. What do you say, Richard? Um, I gotta say Cersei and her sort of, I'm back in the palace. I am grieving, yes, but I'm happy to be back. Kind of like, <laughs> like look that's like both like forceful but sad, you know? She, she really strikes that balance very well. Right. And she's rock, she's rocking the short hair. Mm-hmm. She's just oh, like, oh yeah, she really like used that to good effects. Like good for her. I bet all the women of King's Landing are now getting short haircuts. Oh, they did. They did actually. Like that's later in the season, later in the series, you'll see a bunch of the handmaids are rocking these like short haircuts that mm-hmm. they all got to look like her. So the trendsetter as ever, Cersei Lannister. Um, all right. So here's, here's where we are shipping people. I, I, you know, where we pick like two people or two inanimate objects or a person inanimate object or whatever that we want to be together. I'm going to give this one to Missandei and Grey Worm who are not yet together on the show, but like season six is an interesting season for a couple of reasons. Like Tyrion is very uh, grievously wrong for sort of the first time in the series, uh, in some of his dealings in, uh, Marine, because basically like the storyline here is that like he thinks he knows how to handle these slavers and Grey Worm and Missandei who are actually slaves are like, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Mm-hmm. actually um but season six is also a funky season because this is the this is a season where michelle clapton the costume designer left for most of the season <clears throat> so she um most of the season does not have her trademark work she comes back at the very end she gives cersei this like amazing fuck you dress at the very end of the season is like that but for most of the season you'll see some stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily see on game of thrones like miss andy's wearing these like palazzo pants basically (laughs) and gray worm is like rocking this deep v anyway point being they're all dressed a little like weird and sexy and marine this season and so like i'm like stress out less about Tyrion and just like enjoy yourselves kids that's what you deserve joanna sometimes when you free a slave city it opens it up for the free market and you can open a chico's (laughs) or talbots or whatever it is you need sure um richard who, who are you shipping in this episode you're on Greyjoy and anything that'll hit him in the face because I hate this character <laughs> and this is when he shows up and I don't no knock on the actor who's trying but like oh my god I hate Euron and is such a great example of unfortunately the show trying to invent characters that Martin really hadn't fleshed out yet and kind of stumbling I think part. Well, it's interesting because like Euron Euron is like uh he's in there I know he's, he's a- in the books but like. Well, I just think they, it's the show making him very different. And what's funny is like the year on that we get in this season, season six is super different than the year on we get in season seven. And I actually have like a new theory about that since watching, rewatching season six recently is that like, um, this is a spoiler alert for what's to come, but like the way that the Iron Islands pick their next ruler, right, is that they drown them and bring them back to life. <laughs> and that's the last we, pretty much the last we see of Euron. He gets drowned gets brought back to life and then he's like let's go kill my niece and nephew basically and then he comes back in season seven with a lot of eyeliner and leather and like bad attitude and so my thought is that like maybe he got majorly brain damaged <laughs> when he was uh drowned mm. i don't know like it you know it can't be good for you to uh be deprived of that much oxygen anyway i actually don't dislike this scene i really like the quote i am the storm 
the first and last and you're in my way um is is a great scene this Balon Greyjoy dies way earlier in the book so this is something that like a lot of us had been waiting for his Balon yeah. to like <laughs> fall off that rope bridge there um but uh, you know I, and you I, only hear about it like from afar in the books they're like oh yeah apparently he fell off his bridge or whatever right um, and it's a faceless man who does it whereas like Euron does the deed himself in in the show um but yeah it's um I think you're right Euron I don't know. Euron, Euron is a character like we've talked about, like Ramsey, that just really makes you miss a Joffrey or a Tywin, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just, it's a, it's a different kind of villainy. It's a broader villainy. And, um, I do love Pillow Asbeck. That's a character. That's an actor I like a lot. He was great on the show, mm-hmm. Bor- Borgen. But, um, yeah, and this, it's, it's, it's definitely hit or miss for me. So, uh, yeah, I just don't like the, like, they like the, the kind of like, coolness of his villainy like mm. as if he was introduced as a character that like i don't know like straight dudes could be like yeah he's badass like i just don't like when the show does that and i think this is the worst example of that um because so- the other villains have been well with you know um ramsey excluded like kind of nuanced um in a way like you see their humanity or their human side um so anyway i just don't i don't I don't care for the characterization, but uh, yeah. And I will say that, yeah. What can you do? And I will say that in season seven, what I really like is that he's just basically drafted as like a minion of Cersei, right? Like, and Cersei, yeah. Cersei is the kind, is the like ultimate nuanced villain, uh, that we love to love to hate. So, um, all right. So this, I picked this episode, not just because actually not because John wakes up, even though that is like a monumental, moment in the culture in Game of Thrones fandom. Um, you and I talked about this a lot when we did the episode Mother's Mercy, et cetera, et cetera. But I picked it because of all the brand flashback stuff, which is huge yep. and new for the show. And I love, I love the season six flashback stuff. I think they did it so well. Um, there's a ton of flashback stuff in the books and Game of Thrones made the decision early on. They actually shot some flashbacks for the pilot and the original pilot. And then they got rid of them and then they didn't do any flashbacks until season five, episode one, where you get this like little Cersei flashback. Um, and then season six is where they really sort of like dig into it, but not too much, but it's there to reveal this information essentially about Jon Snow. Um, I love all the casting. I love the use of Bran and the three eyed Raven walking around in these memories. I just, it just works well, for me, in a way that like I I struggle with some of the earlier brand sort of vision stuff, and this just has so much heart and emotional connection to it that it works for me. What do you What do you think of all that? Yeah, I mean, I've said it before on this podcast, um, but I for me, the books work the best as these kind of melancholy, haunted memory pieces about history and not and, and both personal history, but the history of a civilization. And, you know, they're so heavy with the past, those books. And and the show has kind of conjured that up here and there. Um, but it's hard to do on television. I understand that. And also, they, you know, like they can't just kind of constantly be in these reveries into the past and storytelling and stuff like that. They have to move the show forward. So it is nice here that we actually do get a taste of that sort of like, um, that looking back that the books do so often. And yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think it's cleverly staged. I like that. It's not shot in any sort of weird, like this is a memory kind of, you know, there's no camera trickery. It's just very straightforward. Um, and it introduces something that in a subsequent episode, that's really interesting in terms of how the 
almost metaphysics of the world work. Um, and so I think that's interesting too. Yeah. I just, um, and the way it starts up, you're right that they don't go like, Ooh, this is a memory, but like just seeing Bran walking is enough of like a, you know, stunning visual clue for us. Um, the, the fact that this Winterfell courtyard scene opens with like Bran and the three-eyed raven, um, up, up on uh, like, uh, up looking down in the same slot where you saw Ned and Catelyn Stark at the beginning of season one. Um, it just really, it hits home and they have so much expositional lift to do, uh, in terms of like, oh, that's my father. That's my aunt Liana. Like, and that's all Isaac Hempstead, right? Like not driving me crazy, but like doing a great job with just like seeing Bran get so, uh, emotional about seeing his family again. And, and you know, and this, the, these are the last days of Bran Stark because like, even though Isaac Hempstead, right, is still on the show, like Bran dies in the cave, basically. You know what I mean? And so like, this is the last of like the human brand that we get. Um, and you understand why, you know, he is seduced by all this time spent in this past that he just wants to stay there because like the reality is he's, he, he's stuck in this ice cave, you know, with Hodor Mira, his dire wolf and the three eyed raven and like he can't move. And it's just like, it's, um, you know, that this, this, um, I don't know, just really, it really gets to me even every time I rewatch it. Yeah. And I think also going back into young Ned Stark and, um, or just everyone when they were younger, you know, yes, times were bad then and all that, but like, there wasn't this huge existential thing looming immediately over him. And Bran is a kid. And to be dealing with all of this kind of apocalyptic stuff, I, I can totally see retreating to just a, a nearish past where things were at least a little calmer, a little more settled, a little bit how they should have been with boys training and the, you know, the castle and, you know, things just kind of bustling on like normal. Like I can, you know, you can feel the appeal of that in the same way you can feel anytime there's a moment of peace or levity on the show, which is pretty rare. Um, just what a, what a relief that is. Yeah. And in, in an alternate reality, this is Bran's life. Absolutely. Right. Like his, we open the series with John and Rob teaching Bran how to shoot an arrow. Like that's, that's how it's all started for us with Bran. And so to see him looking at like, okay, I should be sparring with my brothers in the courtyard of Winterfell. That's what I should, I should be teaching Rickon how to do this. You know, like it's just, it's really emotional. You see, you meet young Hodor, which is obviously like a seed that, that, pays off later in the se- season but like all of this stuff this flashback the hodor stuff payoff and then the like liana and rhaegar payoff um with john's parentage and all the and tower of joy and all that sort of stuff it just all works for me so um yeah so that's that's the great of this episode um so then maybe we should talk about like maybe the not so great which is our issues around the resurrection of john snow um mm. My main issue around this is not like how easy it was for Melisandre to do this because like, I don't know, Thoros of Mir just like would pray over Beric Dondarrion to bring him back from the dead. So like, whatever, it's, it's, it's kind of fine that that is how easy it was to bring him back. What I think is harder for me, um, going forward from here is like how few consequences there seem to be to Jon Snow. You see a little bit like in Battle of the Bastards, he says something like, you know, to Melisandre, he's like, if I die, 
don't bring me back. Like he's, he's kind of ready to go, but like, very bu- don't Buffy know. season, uh, the six. <laughs> um, but I don't, but I don't know that if, um, but speaking of Buffy season six or like Buffy season three, when Angel comes back from the hell dimension, like there's no like real cost that I see of this death on this character. And then they don't even ever talk about it either. Like in the subsequent season, as Jon Snow goes out to like recruit people or meet people or whatever, he never, he, he like the, the idea is like Jon Snow's a modest private man and wouldn't want to talk about the fact that he came back from the dead. But like, this should be a legend the way that Daenerys is a legend. Jon Snow rising from the dead should be a legend in Westeros. And it's just not. And I think that, you know, in, in the show's, to the show's benefit would be to, you know, if this whole thing is about this guy from the, 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 the cold north and this woman, this fiery woman from the, you know, the east, whatever, like coming together, <laughs> um, like giving him that mythic weight would make sense. Yeah. It would make him more of a ballast to, to Danny, who has been through her own sort of magic crucible. Um, yeah. So it's weird that they don't lean into that. It's weird that. I mean, it's not weird, I guess, but like, what, 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 what it all points to, the, the flatness of the resurrection and how little it means, really. It's just like, this is just cheap cliffhanger stuff that like, a sh- this show should be better than, you know? Um, oh, he's dead. No, he's not. You know, it's just so like slight. It's so easy. Um, and I don't really remember what the reaction was when it actually aired, but I feel like it was a general kind of like, oh, okay. You know, like, I don't feel like people were that, like, moved by it or, or sort of shocked by it. It was more just like, a, yeah, f- of course. Well, I think a ton of, well, I think, I think people assumed at that point that he would come back. But mm-hmm. I, I do think a bunch of people were like, yay, he's back. Like, we were so worried about him. And that's a, um, as the show got more and more popular, as the audience got broader and broader, it was like, and as, as we discussed, like season five was so miserable that a lot of season six and season seven just turns out to be people rooting for wins for their favorites. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And like, yep. um, and that is satisfying. Of course it is. But like the show started off so nuanced in subverting that narrative, you know? Um, the good guy doesn't, you know, you're not, Ned Stark's not going to like boot Cersei out of King's Landing in season one. Ober Martell's not going to win his duel in season four. So it's not, it's not that I like don't like any, the show anymore because I really, really definitely still do. I really do. I just rewatched all of season six. I really enjoyed it on the whole. Yeah, but we wouldn't be doing this podcast if we didn't like the show still. Obviously not. But what even the writers will say, what I've heard them say is like, it's a different show. It goes from an adaptation to its own thing. And it's not that like they needed the source material in order to be good. It's just like they don't have the source material anymore, A, and B, they have their eye on the end goal. Which just this this uh, phrase that my uh, that one of my other podcast co-hosts Neil Miller coined uh, years ago was like efficiency is coming. It's just like whatever is efficient to move it along. That's what we do, and, and you can you know, feel it. You know yeah. the show. You know we we get these easy plot fixes. 
the, the cast of characters gets honed down. Each scene feels like something is won or accomplished in each scene. You know, there's no time for the kind of more like pensive digressions that we've, you know, spoken about in this podcast and earlier seasons that, that you know, that we enjoy. Um, and it, yeah, it just becomes this kind of sleeker, more muscular thing that isn't really the Game of Thrones that I like. I mean, it's, it's like, I, I, I want to root for characters, sure, but I want it to be a kind of complex thing. I don't want the show to sort of be turning and facing the fans, I guess, which this feels like this is kind of the beginning of that. That said, I still find the show entertaining and rewatching some of these episodes in anticipation of the new, new and final season. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited again, but, um, I also think that it's perhaps more an excitement to see where it ends and less of an excitement to sort of sit in it and savor it, you know? Well, my presumption is, and, and like rewatching, Rewatching it has given me the ability to, to savor and enjoy and find certain things that I might have missed, uh, among the things that annoyed me, uh, in, in the last few seasons. And so like those conversations that we like, you know, those scenes are there. They're just maybe a little fewer and far between, but like they are there. And so then I can just sort of like savor those, gloss over the things that I am not enjoying and sort of move on from there. Um, that being said, I am really excited about the final season because it is my understanding um, that the ending that they're aiming towards is the ending that George R. R. Martin told them, right? And right. I believe that whatever, you know, whatever things that are confounding him along the way, that whatever ending George has cooked up and the word he has always used for it is bittersweet – is not going to be like a very cut and dry sort of happily ever after thing. And so I'm excited for that like weird, complicated ending that's going to come on this massively popular show. You know, I think it's going to be really fascinating. Um, and we're getting like well ahead of ourselves here. Obviously we're just supposed to be talking about this episode, but like that is to say that like, yeah, I think you, you see these broad winds, you see these like emotional reunions between characters that like, yeah, it gets to be, you know, like Sansa and John reuniting in season six did, did get to me when I re- rewatched sure, it, yeah. you know, recently, like, yeah, that gets to me. But, um, once again, I mean, I don't mean to sound like I'm making excuses, but I think it's, I think it is all building towards something that is going to be, if this makes any sense, dissatisfying in a way that I find very satisfying. <laughs> As in, like, totally. it's not going to build towards um, a big happy ever after. It's going to build towards something complicated. And that, I think, is going to be another subversion. Uh, I hope. Anyway. So, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people are going to be dead. People are going to be mad, which is a good thing. Probably. Yeah, it's complicated. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, Martin, I think that, you know, one of the kind of overlying and it's a simple message, but it's a it's a it's a profoundly sort of realized one over the course of the, the five books that are, exist so far uh, is this sense of like, you know, history is never done. And, you know, these things happen again. These things come in cycles or 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 in, or in new forms, but it's kind of you know, the same idea, just in a new shape. And like, so I don't think that like this is the cap off to the whole Westerosi myth. You know, I think that, and I think that the, uh, hopefully the, the, the ending of the show will sort of bring that point home. And the way I feel, and I, I don't, please don't think this is a spoiler because I don't know what happens to Jon Snow in the final season of Game of Thrones. I genuinely don't. As of right now, this recording, I don't know what happens. Um, but it, but one thing I do feel, even though I don't feel the weight of his death on him necessarily, even though I don't feel the cost of the resurrection, I do feel like he's living on borrowed time. That is a strong yes. feeling I have about 
Jon Snow. And so um, I think that that is going to manifest in some way in the final season would be my prediction. Once again, not actually knowing what's going to happen. So, no, I, I agree. And I think I could see like him being sent off on a sort of graceful note of like him, like just as he goes, like seeing you greet or something, you know, his real life wife, uh, you know, like something like that. Like it'll, it'll, he'll, it'll be like bittersweet that he, that he's, you know, that he goes away again. But yeah, I think you're right that like he, he's on borrowed time to finish this thing. And then yeah. there's something that they talk about a lot in season six and, and we might get to this, uh, in some other season six, uh, episodes that we might be discussing, but, um, this idea of like, we were brought back for a reason, right? Cause Johnson is not the only character that comes back in season six. You have the hound return that you thought was gone for good. And you've got Beric Dondarrion, uh, you know, who was just gone from the plot of the show, but that's another resurrect person. And the thing they keep on saying is like, we were brought back for a reason. And in the other side of that sentiment to me feels like, and once we've done that thing, it's time for us to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not, not we were brought back to like build a happy life together, you know, happily ever after. We were brought back to do a thing. And once we've done it, the Lord of Light has brought us back and then we're done. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right. So that's, um, that's it for home. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Um, no, I think that, that just, uh, you know, Ramsey's up to his bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> But whatever that's that'll be over soon um yeah so we should yeah a lot of um a lot of bad stuff happens in winterfell with the bolton the whole house bolton situation absolutely um something i did neglect to mention mother's mercy and i know people are gonna be mad at me that i did not even freaking mention it <laughs> um is that Stannis Baratheon died? Brienne killed him. Um, oh. and I forgot to. <laughs> Did we forget to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, I forgot to talk Whoops. about that. Um, so, you know, this is just me saying, um, you know, peek behind the curtain. Curtain, we're actually recording this before you have, you will have heard. So I'm saying this before I even get a tweet from you guys, because I know I will get one. But, um, I will say that Stannis is one of my favorite last lines of all time, which is, Go on, do your duty. Um, very, just, very, just, very Stannis. Ooh, such, such Stannis. Um, all right. So that is, that is it for, for this discussion of home. We are, stay tuned to find out what episode we're going to be talking about next time. And also stay tuned for our interview with Isaac Hempstead Wright. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Hello. Hello, hello. I want to start off by asking you... Bran has always been um, a, such an interior character with all of his dreams and his visions and all the stuff that happens inside of him. What are the challenges for you as an actor, you know, making that dynamic on the screen? It's interesting because up until about season seven, I was kind of a, a kid playing a kid or like a teenager playing a teenager. I didn't have to transform myself hugely um, to, to become Bran Stark. 
Um, you know, he was fairly similar to me in many ways. But uh, in season seven, I suddenly had the opportunity to play an entirely new character, which not many actors get to do on the same show. Um, and 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 that was a really interesting time because it kind of coincided with me becoming an adult and I became aware that I could, you know, really try and do something cool with the character and, and actually transform myself. Um, and I can remember we, I spoke with Dave and Dan, our producers, um, and we were trying to find a way to make sure that Bran didn't just become boring um, because these, omnis- these omniscient characters who have no emotions can quickly become really, really dull on screen. Um, so we wanted to find a way to keep him detached and weird um, and slightly unsettling, but keep that mystery and intrigue about him and, and make people want to you know, see him on screen and not just want him to get off. Um, so it was, it was about kind of finding that balance, which I think we, we pretty much got. Yeah, there's some there's some flashes of humor um in in Bran. I'm thinking actually specifically of the the final scene um yeah. in season yeah, 7 with, with, with Sam. Sam yeah, yeah. Um you know, do you think there's something about Sam that draws that out in Bran or or how do you how do you reconcile that little flash of humor? Yeah, I I I I mean, I'm not sure whether that's Bran just not realizing that that's funny. Right. Um, and maybe that, and maybe that's why it's funny because Bran's just going, well, I saw, I got a letter. Um, <laughs> it was from a raven. Um, but I certainly think, you know, there is still a bit of Bran Stark in Bran. And when he's at his home surrounded by people he knows, that will obviously be brought out a bit more. Um, so I think, you know, it's, uh, yeah, that, that's that's where those flashes of him come back. You know, he hasn't completely forgotten who he is. It's just not as important to him anymore. Yeah, there's so um, I loved watching all of the stuff that you got to do with the flashbacks, specifically in season six. All of this stuff of Bran sort of revisiting um, his family and on the seductive power of that. Can you talk about that? The ability to come back to the show in season six to be able to be ambulatory and sort of really in this brand Stark of old, uh, in that season. It, it was, it was, yeah, it was so cool to get to do that because Game of Thrones doesn't really do flashbacks. Um, and, and it's, it's what's so cool is there's so much rich, you know, convincing history that George R. R. Martin has come up with for the show. Um, that it, it's a shame not to think that not, not to see it on screen. Um, so it, it was really cool being a part of the storyline that gives airtime to, to some of the history of Westeros um, and not only to just watch it, you know, because that'd be something I'd be interested to just watch on screen, but actually to be actively involved in it, to be there in the scenes, on the locations, interacting pretty much with, with those, those parts of history. Um, I absolutely loved that. It was, that was, I think, one of my favorite seasons, some really, really cool stuff for Bran. Um, and revealing some really, really important things. Yeah, it's it's so hard to do exposition and keep it as emotionally yeah. engaging as that. And I feel like this yeah, keep it convincing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so so you already touched on this a little bit, but you know, Mira has this line right where she's like, "You you basically you died in that cave." Where do you think is the last time we saw Bran Stark be fully Bran Stark? I think. Probably at the end of season six, when he goes into that vision with Mira, uh, when they're at the Weirwood tree near the wall, and he goes into that vision, I think that's the last time he is kind of still completely Bran. Um, and, and I think it's then between that, that off-screen bit between season six and seven where it's kind of started to overwhelm him and, and he's 
you know, all that information is getting downloaded into his head. So is that your understanding that sort of it was it was that moment when he does a full complete download from the from the Wherewood Wherewood Network that I, I mean I, I'm I'm actually not sure exactly at what point it happened. Maybe I should ask David Downer. <laughs> um, but but I, yeah, I would say it, it's got to be sometime between season six and seven. So that seems as good a time as any, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> and then you, you know, you ha- you were in this unique position where you you took this year off of of Game of Thrones. What was it? Did you did you watch the show in that year off? Yeah, definitely. And, and it was interesting because I I had no idea what was going on. I hadn't, you know, I didn't have the scripts. Um, so that was like actually getting to watch it as a fan, um, which was which was really quite exciting. Can you remember? Um, and yeah, I, go ahead. Go ahead. And I can, I just feel like that was the season as well where I really thought, wow, this is, this is such a phenomenon. Because when you're from the outside looking in, you suddenly see, you know, just how massive it is and, and just how, how many people are, are completely um, devoted to it um, in a way that you don't, I think, when you're just a part of it and you're like, oh, well, I'm just, it's just my work, you know, it right. can't, I'm in it, it can't be that big, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, that was, yeah. Uh, that was cool. I was talking to Joe Dempsey about this a little bit because, you know, he went away and came back and he was talking about finishing it all up and how maybe he had a dis- different perspective than people who had just been in it the whole time, having been away, like gone away, come back and really feeling how special the show was. Do you feel like you were put in this different position as you say goodbye to everything um, versus your co-stars who had been there the whole time? I mean, I think... Coming back, I can remember coming back from season, coming back onto season six and thinking, God, wow, I, I feel like I'm always coming back to a different show. Um, you get nervous. You're like, can I still act? Do I remember what Bran is? Um, you know, is it now it's really, really, really big? Is it all going to be different? Um, but I think in one sense, because Bran changed so much in season seven, um, it's almost like I've kind of had to say goodbye to him already in a slightly softer way. Mm, um, yeah. You know, I, that I was still the same character, um, but you know that that pre the, the old brand was 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 kind of gone. So I I've already kind of said goodbye to Brand in that way. So I think it's easier. You know, I've only had two seasons with this new brand, um, so it hasn't necessarily been quite as uh, yeah quite as as difficult, I suppose, as it could be. And then I know that everyone. Um or at least the main cast or whatever got these these uh, frame storyboard rap gifts. Uh, can you say what what yours was a storyboard of? Yeah, mine was uh, Bran getting pushed out of the window. Of course, <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, it's great, really cool. <laughs> um, all right, and then do you have um like a favorite moment from the show's entire run uh, that you got to be a part of? I think. I mean, annoyingly, I'm going to say there are quite a few scenes in season eight, um, which I think is some of the coolest stuff I've ever been involved in. Um, but certainly, I can remember in season six, the vision where I'm there with the army of the dead, yeah. um, and I'm walking through, and there were really about 100 extras there dressed in full zombie gear. I get up there, and then there's the Night King and his, his other white walkers on horses, and this huge epic scenery with these big, you know, monolithic stones, um, and then to actually get grabbed by the Night King, because not many characters get to have that close an interaction with, with, with the Night King and those zombies and yeah. live to tell the tale. True. Um, so to get to do that and be, yeah, be, be a part of that, that whole world, I thought was amazing. And then was there a scene that was, I don't know, maybe like the most em- emotionally difficult for you to film? I, I get 
I get upset every time I have to watch you watch Roderick Cassell like die. That's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> what I was gonna. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Because yeah. um, that was that was such a tough two days of filming. It rained relentlessly on the first day, and then on the second day it didn't rain, so they had to get the rain machines out. Um, and it just it was cold, wet, and miserable, and the the whole ground became like a quagmire. Um, and the whole scene is so traumatic, and Alfie did such a good job playing the sort of crazed, um, you know, kid trying to prove himself, um, and just that horrific beheading. That was, that was you know, emotionally tiring and, and physically tiring, and it was just a, yeah, that was a heavy two days. Yeah, it was, it's upsetting to watch every time. Um, and then I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your... Um, your thread raven look, if you will. Um, these, yeah. these, these piles of great furs that, that brand gets. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, you know, what is your understanding through Michelle's, uh, you know, vision for brand or anything like that is like, what is going on stylistically with brand? Is he just trying to stay warm? What's going on with Brand Stark's look? I think the idea is to just have him sort of with this quite neutral robe. I mean, you don't see it because he never stands up, but he's got this huge, really, really heavy cloak that, um, you know, covers him, and it looks quite kind of mystical, almost, sort of wizard-y, wizard-esque, if you will. Um, But, yeah, I'm not sure why he's permanently coated in furs. Um, Although I, I was really grateful for that when we were out in the cold, but really not very grateful for it when we were inside and it was boiling, boiling hot. Um, I don't think I've ever, in the nine years I've been on Game of Thrones, been a comfortable temperature on set. It's either <laughs> boiling hot or freezing cold. And then, and then, like stretching back your memory to that that off season when you were watching the show just as a fan, is there anything that happened in season five where you remember watching it and just going like, "I'm sorry, they did what? What is happening here?" Oh, God, now you're testing my memory. <laughs> That's embarrassing. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> Do you know what? I can't remember. That's okay. um, I've been meaning. I've been. I've been meaning to rewatch it all. I've left it a bit late. <laughs> no, no, no. Do you think I can fit that all in yeah. before tomorrow at six yeah. p.m.? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just cram it all in. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, and then when you, if is there a difference when you are, um, let's say in season seven, because we don't want to talk about season eight, but like in season seven, when you're in full three-eyed raven mode versus like in the past looking at events in the past mode is there any difference in the way that you modulate your performance does more brand come out when he's sort of observing in the past at all or is it as you say he's the most brand when he's in winterfell surrounded by the people that he knows yeah i think i think it's probably when he's surrounded by the people he knows when he's around john and sansa and and i for example um i think that's where more of brand comes out um, more just in terms of it reminds him of, of those kind of things. Yeah. Um, reminds him of, oh, yes, you know, I, I remember I remember Bran Stark. Um, <laughs> right. So, it, yeah, it's a funny one. There's not really, a, 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 there's not really any, anything I can go, go to to compare because it's uh, quite a, a unique character and idea. Um, so I'm not really sure. I need, to, I need to ask the producers to give me, like, a, a handbook on exactly how brand's powers works how brand's powers work because i i don't really know 
but sort of performance wise, you know, to circle back to what you said about um, Dan and David talking to you about making sure that brand feels dynamic, even in this new mode. Can you, what are some of the specifics of what you talked about in terms of your performance and, and how that that would come through? I think it's most of it's about a stillness um, and, and kind of an intensity to the stare. Um, I can actually remember when I was working with Sophie in, uh, in one of the scenes in Winterfell with Sansa, um, she was like, Isaac, your stare is like looking right through me. It's crazy. And I'm like, that's because I haven't got my glasses on and I'm blind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that actually seemed to help um, because it kind of, um, I mean, that, that's silly, but, but, but still it was just kind of the whole idea of, of keeping Bran as if he's not necessarily present in that moment. He's got so much other stuff going on in his head. He's, he's literally in loads of different times simultaneously. So it's kind of like retaining that sense of distance to him as if there are, there, there, he's, he's existing simultaneously all throughout time, but it's just choosing to sort of pay attention to this moment um, and, and really being aware of that um, and, and not moving too much, you know, tanking the time um, and being very slow and considered in his, in his, in his words and his choice of words. My last question for you is, um, I'm not going to ask you, obviously, to comment on the millions of theories that have sprung up around Bran. I think a lot of them are silly and that's fine. But yeah. my question is, um, why? Do, what do you think it is about Bran that inspires all of these sort of crackpot theories to spring up? I mean, I, I think one key thing is the fact that he's got this whole time travel element um, that makes it very, very easy to come up with any kind of outlandish theory. <laughs> Um, and I think just the fact that he is, he, the Three-Eyed Raven is an ancient, ancient part of Westeros. I mean, possibly one of the most fundamental, um, you know, characters in the entire series. You know, he is kind of time personified. Um, so, you know, he's a pivotal character um, and, and that makes him excellent fun to uh, theorize about. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time and best of luck today with all the other uh, interviews you have to do, I'm sure. Very nice to talk to you. Thank you very much. So that is our discussion of home. Next time, we will, like, get your tissues ready. We are talking about Season 6, Episode 5, The Door. One of the famously emotional episodes of Game of Thrones. Uh, Richard, until then, where can people find you? Oh, just traveling along the astral plane, reliving old things, you know. (laughs) Just sitting in some tree roots while I do it. Uh, and I'll probably also be doing, speaking of the astral plane, I'll be on Twitter at Rylaws and on VF.com. Joanna, where will people find you? Oh, um, I will be tossing my brother off of a rope bridge. Um, the, the nearest rope bridge I can find uh, in the <laughs> Luckily, rain. the Bay Area is full of them. <laughs> We've got, got a lot of rope bridges here. Uh, otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Rothis. You can find me on VanityFair.com. This episode was edited and produced by Dave Gonzalez, and we will see you next time for The Door. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
from PRX.